So something new to out here in the middle of podcast, since we are out in the middle on a farm, we, we, we thought it would be good for you guys as listeners to have a little intro week to week of what's going on, not only on our farm, but what's happening in agriculture around the country. One of the big things uh, that happened this last week was the, the, the ratio, as I've heard people call it, but derecho is actually the name uh, in Spanish. It means straight line. Uh, this was a storm that affected Nebraska, Iowa, some parts of Missouri. Um, I've, I've heard a little bit in the Dakotas, um, Illinois, where a monster straight line windstorm came across and flattened. The, the numbers we're getting are between 7 and 10 million acres of corn uh, where this big storm came through and essentially just blows the crop down flat where it's at the point of almost, in a lot of cases, will be unharvestable. Um, we've looked at commodity prices over the last week. Uh, cotton remains to be low. We are cotton farmers out here in the middle. And, uh, and a lot of that driving factor with cotton is who is buying the cotton to make shirts, socks, underwear, sheets, all of those kind of things, uh, which the major factor in the global economy is China. Um, so not only this year did we have to deal with the tariff war, but now with COVID, uh, people's demand for uh, foreign shirts and things like that has subsided because they're not spend, spending their that, that income that they had uh, to buy those kind of clothing items. So as we're getting closer to harvest right now, we're making the hard the hard call on the farm now to continue watering the crop or to go ahead and start drying it up. The cool thing about cotton is it kind of tells you when it's ready to be done. Um, it, it flowers and at the top of a cotton plant, when you start to see blooms up on top, that means that the crop has gotten to its uh, ending state. And so for us, even though it's been so hot, uh, weather has been fluctuating between 96 and 109 last week. We had one day that was 109 uh, low time temperature uh, that night of like 91 degrees, just brutally hot. Uh, it forces the cotton to go to cutout stage, meaning that it's done trying to grow. It's going to flower as much as it can right now. Uh, as crops are getting to maturity, what they're saying is they want to reproduce seed. Um, so inside a cotton bowl, uh, or a ball of cotton, you'll find multiple seeds. And that's that plant's way of saying, hey, I want to be able to survive by putting seed out so that another crop can grow from my family trait. So we're seeing cutout happen now. Normally with cotton, we use a PGR, which is also known as a plant growth regulator. A PGR is a hormone package that you can spray onto a crop that will make it stay shorter uh, while allowing it to bush out and flower. Uh, we haven't had to use hardly any of that this year because of the, the dry conditions that we have. Where we sit from March 18th to today, the most rain that has fallen on the farm is uh, seven tenths. So we still haven't even seen an inch of rain since March. It's been one of the hottest, driest summers on record. And, uh, and so that's been one good thing for our alfalfa. Even though we have to pump water to be able to grow the alfalfa, uh, the quality of the forage that we've been able to put up over the last couple of months has been really good. So we're excited about what we're able to put in the barn and whatever what what uh, Chaffe has been able to put up. At the same time, we're harvesting grapes, and the heat has a really interesting effect on grapes and the fact that we have to understand what our pH is and we have to understand what our bricks level is. Bricks level is the amount of sugars uh, that are inside the grape juice, and that is what is going to give some of the profile of the wine and 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 really affect the fermentation process. So the hotter it gets, uh, the grape wants to raisin, wants to start to dry up. 
as a grape is drying up, its bricks levels start to skyrocket. The fermentation process wants to take place quicker. And so it's sped up our grape harvest. We're actually picking about a week and a half earlier this year than we were last year. And we've been rolling through grape harvest pretty good. We're now waiting on Actually, tonight we're firing up again, but we're now on to the deep reds, so the Tempranillos, uh, the Cabernets, Syrah, things like that. So so that's kind of an interesting feature. We're also in the middle of planting alfalfa. So we're trying to get next year's crop in the ground, and as we're preparing the ground for that, it's kind of a scramble the last month to make sure that our fields are prop, uh, prepped properly because alfalfa lasts for four years if the stand is in good shape. And so for us to be able to make sure that the equipment's not having to go over all those bumps and ridges and all that stuff, we have to do a really meticulous job of making sure that the the dirt work uh, is done properly. So we've started the planting process this week. We're hoping to, to have a mild fall so we don't have an early freeze and it'll give us the opportunity to get that alfalfa up and get a, a clip off of it, get to cut it one time to clean up whatever kind of weeds or whatever might be coming up with it. So that way, when we start our season next year, the crop is clean and in good shape. On on other news, chili peppers are kind of in the final stages of the variation period. So the, the chili peppers that actually came onto the plants are starting to turn red uh, within the next, oh, 60 day will really first of October we'll start harvest. So within the next four weeks, we'll start to uh, apply salt onto the top of the leaf. A lot of people don't understand, but you know, plants grow through photosynthesis. And so they need sunlight on their leaves to be able to produce glucose. And the glucose is the sugars that run through and, and convert into proteins that, that keep these plants alive and rolling. And so what we will do is we'll apply salt water on top of the plant. It kills the uh, photosynthesis from taking place. The plant itself doesn't die right away, but it, it shucks all the leaves off of the plant, which just leaves the chili pepper. And that's what we'll go in and machine harvest. Um, so with that, we still got some tillage work going on, getting ready for wheat planting. Uh, wheat planting will start here in the next 30 days. And of course, our cows are just standing in the pen fat and happy. Uh, the cool thing about uh, the farm here is this year we're actually looking at expanding our cattle operation and we've we've been talking to some some bigger local ranches and we'll be bringing in their wean calves uh, and we will be doing some backgrounding work uh, on the, on the cattle side. So people are starting to find new avenues as they're looking at uh, where they're going to send their their cattle to be uh, fed out and then eventually be processed Uh you know, the episode that you're going to be listening to today has a lot to do with that. And the fact that people are wanting to know where their meat comes from and they want to have that connection with their rancher and they want to make sure that their animals are treated humanely and uh, and have a good life while they're here. At the same time, understanding that we want these animals to be able to put on the, the responsible amount of fat and, and muscle so that that way, when you go in to get your cut of meat, uh, it's the best that you've ever had. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's podcast. Thanks for listening to our first farm update, and we will continue to give you those farm updates. Uh, Hopefully at the end of this week, we'll be planting a little bit of salad. Uh, We're going to try to get into some lettuce this year. Uh, We we grow lettuce every year, but now with the extreme heat, we've had to hold our, our planting date off. But like I said, we'll get into that later on. Without further ado, here's number 15. Here it is, dropping it like it's hot. 
He's already laughing. Episode 15. Quince. Orale. Get your ears on, y'all, because this is about to get get Western. <laughs> He's a legend on Instagram. He's known as a cowboy among cowboys. He wakes up in the morning, puts a dip of coffee in his eyelid, eats rocks and nails for breakfast, and punches some cows. Wow. Buster Ryerson. Welcome. Wow, thank you. Thank you for the introduction, man. That's a You didn't even have to do push-ups before you got in here. No doubt. That was unbelievable right there. Well, it's it's funny too, because we've been running around the farm and showing him a little bit about what we do out here, and the guys all meet him and their eyes all light up and they're like, That's a big man. That's a big man. Um what is your what is your natural reaction from people when they meet you for the first? I mean, because you're famous. My natural reaction, yeah, or theirs? Their, excuse me. Come on now. <laughs> I've only had three cups of coffee. Uh, I am I am not by any means of the word famous. He is famous. No, sir. I mean, and I'm and, and we're going to talk about why you got to where you're at today <laughs> and, and the struggle of your life. <laughs> because any good cowboy. Has a good song that's written after him. Oh, yes. What what song would you, and I usually ask these hard questions at the back, but what song would you correlate would be the story of your life? Ooh, Mama tried. Mama. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was I was not going down that road at all, but, you know, <laughs> so we'll, just, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For I thought, sure. Mama I thought tried. All my or, exes live in Texas. Yeah, all my exes live in, there's like a genre of all, you know, the song, if you really got into it. So, yeah, like, Mama's Don't Let Your Baby. Babies grow up to be cowboys. Mama tried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All my I, exes. I'm surprised you're not just like a Tupac fan. <laughs> oh, I listen to Tupac. I was going to say because it, big. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You like Biggie. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like see, uh, yeah. Bone Thugs. Who? Bone Thugs. No, I don't know that. Oh, my gosh. You've never heard the song uh, Ghetto I, Cowboy? Uh, no, no. Oh, yeah, you have. No, I have never. Oh, my gosh. No. I wish no. we could cue that audio right now. <laughs> Daniel, why don't we have Bone Thugs on the queue? I mean, you can connect my phone. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> so it, the reason I say that, so it's the guys that I got to grow up with that rodeoed a lot. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're not essentially a rodeo cowboy. Right. But you're a cowboy. 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 Um, yes. Q-U-K-O-I. K-O-I. Oh, yeah. Cowboy. Cowboy. Do you rope calves or do you rope calves? Calves. Calves. So there's a happy medium there, but right. going, going back to the story before my mind completely just leaves me, <laughs> there's a bunch of the guys that I rodeoed with were just straight gangster. Right. You know, that I, and I say I rodeoed with, I'm not a real cowboy either, but the, the guys that, I mean, it was always whatever the thuggest song that was coming out was what they were rolling in the truck. And I'm like, man, you're embracing the Western way of life. But at the same time, it's like G unit up in here. Right. And you need that in your life too? You bet. You oh. bet. You know, it's kind of gives you that extra edge, that extra, you know, you walk down the line. That's what cowboys do. You kind of walk down the line of danger. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's something different. It's it's just a little bit edgy. It, yeah. I mean, that's kind of my natural reaction when I met you. I was like, this son of a gun is edgy. <laughs> Actually, no, I was like, I better say hi and yes, sir. <laughs> that guy's got paws like bears. So... Buster, your your world into being a, a well known cowboy is an interesting one, and your life story is something that is should be in a book somewhere, <laughs> you know. And I've gotten to you know our our friendship is relatively new, right. and we I would say we credit that to social media. Yes, sir. Uh, but at the same time, we were talking about this over dinner last night. The fact that even though people have so many followers 
connection is a totally different subject than just people that are following you. And there's a certain handful of people that you tend to meet that you have that connection with. Right. And, uh, and, and instantly I could tell that you were a good guy and, and we, we built Fooled the- you. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, get a big stick. If he gets out of line, I want you to swat him and hit him right in the nose. Um, probably you probably wouldn't feel that. Uh, so finding those kind of people and hanging on to them and building a relationship, you know, we're talking business all the time and we're right. talking about, you know, the adventures of, of Buster and Jay, if you will, right, what right. we're looking at. Have you found your life change since your entry into social media, as far as the connections and the ability for you to move through different circles more fluidly, or do you find it as a, as a hindrance and a, as a time suck? No, definitely more fluidity of their, you know, connection and moving through my life, I guess. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's been a, it's, it's changed my life. I mean, social media has completely changed my life. I just punch cows for a living and had for a long time, you know, and I've done things previous to that, that just your everyday basic blue collar worker, you know, and it's a, uh, as we were talking about last night, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me, the people that you meet and the, the tentacles that you can, you know, that, that grow from that. You know, just in in instance, you, you know. ever ate octopus? Oh uh, yes, sir. Yeah. What do you think yeah. of it? It's it's a calamari, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's about <laughs> as far as octopus goes. I eat calamari. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know, you said tentacles in the next. Yeah, thing. I, I was thinking a little mermaid because of Harv. Jay, I figured out one thing about Jay is that. Uh, your brain goes about 650 miles an hour in 552 different directions. And so I think, uh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. I can sit down in a cold room and start sweating. Right. <laughs> no doubt about that. So, but yeah, it's completely changed my life, you know, and I, and I won't sit here and tell anybody that it hadn't. And it's, you know, it's been all for the better, um, in my opinion. And it's something that, uh, I'm truly blessed to have gotten to experience and getting to experience on a day-to-day basis. Well, one thing too is if, if you grew up or if people grew up in agriculture and you grew up around true cowboys, there's, there's a couple of different genres. You got the redneck cowboy, right? And then you've got, then you've got your cowboy. Right. And, and so many people have equated wearing, <clears throat> you know, a cowboy hat with, you know, you're going to go to the bar, you're going to get in a fight, you're going to win <laughs> the last and you're going to go home and, you know, next morning you're going to get up and be a cowboy again. And that's kind of this hard lifestyle. But then when you talk to, you know, the real ranchers and cowboys that are out there and you listen to their stories and how their life is completely different in the fact that their fame, even though that they should be famous, they're not famous, but right. their, their glory is by waking up early exactly. with, with a clear heart, a clear mind drinking a good cup of coffee right. and going out and doing what, what they're supposed to do. Get to do what you love to do, what you were born to do. So with me saying that, I want to, I want to start with where did you grow up? Oh, so I grew up in Roby, Texas. Roby, Texas. Where it's, is Roby, Texas? Roby, Texas is about an hour and 30 minutes northwest of Abilene, if right off of I-20. Did you grow up in a cowboy lifestyle? You know, my dad was a cowboy, a rodeo cowboy. He also did a little branch cowboy as well, you know, as a younger man. Um, but he was he was a bareback rider, and he rode bulls, and he rode calves. And How he, tall was he? <laughs> my dad's six one, six one and a half, something like that, I imagine. His family's full of just athletes. But, uh, you know, I mean, he was a hell of a good cowboy mm-hmm. and a rodeo cowboy, and he was he was a good horseman. Mm-hmm. My dad trained a lot of horses for people. He started cults for a lot of that, you know, people on the outside. And uh, he, uh, so I grew up around horses, not necessarily on a cow ranch, 
but we did do my granddad had a few cows scattered out here and there and uh you know, mainly my deal was growing up with horses. We always had eight or 10 head of horses around. My dad was starting colts and he was training rope horses. And, you know, by the time I was five, I was breakaway calf roping in the AJRAs in the play days and doing that thing. So at a young age, I learned how to ride and kind of started my horse horseman life, I guess is what you would want to say. And uh, for lack of better terms, but was it, was it, was it kind of love at first sight? You know, my, I always wanted to be a farmer. Right. Did you always want to be a cowboy? You know, I guess as far as I know, I did. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you look back at some pictures and stuff like that. I mean, I, when I was probably two, I'm running around in my diapers with a picking string that my dad had, you know, a grass picking string and roping anything that moved. I, Mom and dad got pictures of me roping a cat, you know, and just <laughs> chickens and different things that we had around the house. And so I guess I always did, you know, and, and uh, it was it was just that's what we did. I mean, you didn't know any different, you know, I mean, that's just kind of where we were and what we did. And, and how many, how many people were in your, how many, how many brothers and sisters? So I have two sisters yeah. and an older sister and a younger sister. And uh, my oldest sister and I are closer in age. We're a year and a half apart. And my youngest sister is five years younger than me. So, okay, you know, we did that growing up. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, my dad did a little bit of everything, to be honest with you. He just provided for his family. He welded, he worked in the oil field. He went to work for a, uh, rail car company that rebuilt rail cars, box cars, tanker cars, about 45 minutes kind of south of where we grew up. And we ended up finally moving to Roscoe, my, I guess my eighth grade year, end of my eighth grade year, and uh, sold all our horses, moved into town. And uh, I kind of was in the sports, started playing sports and doing that deal. And so ballet. Yeah, ballet yeah. very much. Yeah. You, you seem like a delicate little daisy. <laughs> so uh, I kind of I kind of lost touch with the cowboy, the horses about that time, you know, throughout my high school career. And so what did you what did you look like in those days? I mean, were you wearing were you wearing jeans and boots or were you? Wearing- yeah, you know, I mean, I did. I wore jeans and boots. I still had that kind of, you know, I mean, I still wore Wranglers and did boots. You, but did you, you know, have a skateboard? Yeah, no, I never had a skateboard. I wasn't ever really good at skateboard so right. I, I tried it once or twice and whacked my head and decided that wasn't for me <laughs> i didn't have that good so of balance <laughs> yeah. i've had a lot of head injuries over my <laughs> lifetime <laughs> which explained a lot another one of our awesome sponsors is big frig coolers you know it seems like everybody has a cooler. I mean, if you if you think about your garage or in the trunk of your car or in the back of your pickup, we all have coolers. One thing about being a farmer and running around on the roads that we have, I can beat the living crap out of anything that you put in the back of my truck. And I've had a lot of coolers. I did not understand what it was like to have a well-made cooler until I got a Big Frig cooler. I got to meet Brock a while back. He's the owner of Big Frig. Him and his amazing team have gone through uh, trial after trial, making sure that they are putting together the best built cooler that you can buy. The cool thing about Big Frig is you're able to customize your cooler as well. So if you're looking for a personalized logo or if you're looking for something for your company to be on top of that, so that way you're always repping your company, get with the guys at Big Frig. They can do any kind of crazy custom order. Uh, I've got my J Hill logo on mine and I absolutely love it. Went elk hunting with it, orange rubbed all over it. It still looks absolutely amazing. Go to bigfrig.com. They've got all kinds of awesome things and we support their movement as they support ours. We look forward to the future with Big Frig. And of course, one sponsor that I really can get behind, and I'm so honored to be a part of this great team, Chaffee. Chaffee is a western-grown forage. It's an alfalfa-based product that's grown in the high desert of West Texas, actually in the shadow of the Guadalupe Mountains, which is the tallest point in the state of Texas. 
Chaffee is a premium feed in the fact that we take alfalfa and we let biology do what it does best. It jumps in and it breaks down that feed through the culturing process that allow probiotics and all of these microbes to allow this product to be highly digestible by your animal. If you want more information about Chaffee, you can go to Chaffee.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or just stop by your local feed store and ask them about Chaffee. If they don't know anything about it, send them our way. Have them ask questions. Tell them Jay sent you. If you're looking for the right forage for your farm, try Chaffee. So, so you're playing sports, playing baseball and football? No, no baseball, football, basketball, track. Okay. What did you do in track? Uh, I pole vaulted. <laughs> you know what just came into my mind is when you go and somebody orders a martini, yes. and it's just a really fat olive on a toothpick. Uh, exactly. That's it. Yeah, I broke a few poles. I was gonna say. Yeah, I broke a few poles. And that's another little few head injuries that I landed in the pit. So, yeah, I got a couple scars from that for sure. So were you... Were you skin and bones in those days? You know, when I was probably, I didn't really start growing till I was a senior. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, my senior year, I think I was 5'11", weighed 170, something like oh, that. You know still- I mean? So, uh, it's, uh, I, I think my growth took place when I was 22, 23, you know I mean? I got, I got a lot bigger, broader. And- so, what was your friend circle like? And what was, what was life like as you had moved into town? And, and what did that do for your kind of ambition in the cowboy world? Well, you know, I mean, I still had friends that were that that were in the cowboy world per se, you know, and so I, I and ranching and farming both as well, and uh, I I just would help them every chance that I got. I would go borrow a horse from one guy, and I'd go help another guy, you know, and I just kind of did that deal. I had a had a saddle of my own that I'd kept whenever we got rid of all our horses and equipment, and so I would go do that on the weekends whenever I could. And uh, always still had that deep down inside, you know, that I really loved doing that. And it was part of me that I don't think I would ever lose and don't think I will ever lose, you know. I mean, it's still to this day is that's what I want to do. You know, that's what brings me joy. That's what I feel like that I'm supposed to do. And, uh, you know, I mean, my friend circle was the same. Of course, I had my athletic friends, you know, that we played ball together. And then I had I generally hung around the older people, older guys, you know, I mean, a couple of years older than me. And so I was always always doing with the older crowd. And did you did you get in a little trouble in high school? Yeah, you know, I was pretty good in high school because I didn't want to – I love sports and I love – I'm very competitive and it's, uh, you know, so <laughs> – Couldn't tell that at all. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I tried – I, I kind of walked straight in there because I was playing sports. Now, when I graduated high school and I decided I had a couple offers to go play football at some colleges and some Division two schools, but – I just really didn't want to. I was tired of people telling me what to do, and I thought I was an adult, you know, and I was big enough and old enough to make my own decisions. And so I kind of got, you know, I went wild then. I kind of. And what did what did that entail? So you, did you go to school? I went to college off and on. Um, I I, uh, I would go. <laughs> so I guided hunts a little bit as well when I was out of high school and kind of the end of my high school career. I had a cousin that worked for an outfitter. And on the weekends, I would go help skin deer and cook and just do whatever, you know, needed to be done around the camp. And so when I went off to college, I, uh, I went to college for the first semester and the guy, the outfitter called me and asked me if I wanted to go to New Mexico and help him on some elk hunts. And it was starting September, you know, and we're fixed schools in session and already. And I couldn't turn it down. So I just 
dropped out of school and went to New Mexico and stayed all winter in New Mexico and guided hunts and helped around the camp and did that kind of stuff. And so I've always been into hunting as well. I love hunting. I love the outdoors. And it was an experience that I would never, never, I never regretted, you know, and I wasn't that good at college. I didn't, I mean, I went because everybody said you should go. And so I did, I tried it, you know, I tried it and just never did. And so I'd come back home after hunting season and I'd enroll in college somewhere else again and make it through the spring semester and then bam, fall rolled around and I'd take off and go hunting again. So, and I did that for about five years to four years, I guess. And, uh, I ended up finally working full time and I just, I didn't go back to college when I come home, I ended up working full time for the outfitter and, and, uh, did that deal for a little bit. And then I actually went into my course, like I said, my dad was a welder and we did anything and everything to make a living. So I was skilled in different things. I could build fence. I could weld. My dad taught me all that kind of stuff, you know, physical blue collar labor around the farm ranch, small towns, whatever we needed to do, built barns, he built fences, whatever. So I, I, I learned how to do all that. So it was good with my hands, you know, and I was big and strong and, uh, I went to, when I got done outfitting and guiding, I went to work for TU Electric as a lineman and uh, climb poles and played with electricity for about four years. And I moved to Fort Worth about that time. Well, I did move to Fort Worth when I went to work for TU Electric. And I, I don't know, there was just something about it. I did it. I was making more money than I ever had. I was single, rocking and rolling, and just there was something missing. There was something missing. And one day I finally decided that I was done with it and I was going to go back to trying to figure out the route back to the cowboy world. And so, and what was, what were you wanting out of the cowboy world? You know, I don't know. I just always felt like that was deep down inside who I was. And that's, and I was pushing that away, doing something else. And I didn't feel comfortable with myself. I, I was, I was looking for that feeling. And I knew that feeling was in the cowboy section of my life and what I'd grown up doing. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, it was just a, Six cents, I guess, that that's what I needed to be doing. And uh, so I turned in my tools at TU Electric one day and leased a place in Weatherford, Texas, on a little ranch, a little bitty rat hole of a house, and had a set of pins. And I went back to trying to figure out. I got to hanging around some guys that were sure enough cowboys. And that, you know, that's that's what I've, all, I've learned out of that deal, too, is if you decide you want to be something, go find the best of what you want to be and hang out with those guys, you know. And so I did. And uh, they kind of took me under their wing and they showed me a lot of stuff and they showed me kind of how it should work and why it should work. And so I did that on my own for a little bit and I kind of reverted back to what my dad did. You know, when that would get slow, I, I bought a welder and I built barns and I built fences when I was slow cowboying, you know, and just to kind of make ends meet. And uh, so you left your security. No doubt. And, um, and what was your lifestyle like in those days? You know, it was pretty wild. I drank a lot. Uh, I run pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was 25, 26, 27 years old right about that time. And uh, I wasn't married. Didn't I, you know, I was running through the women pretty fast. And I was running through the whiskey and the beer and through vehicles pretty fast. And me and the law had quite a few run-ins. And, you know, I mean, uh, about that time in my life, I was struggling, I guess, trying to figure out who Buster was what I was supposed to be doing. And I knew yeah, it. I'm, I'm listening to your story. So you're, you're, you're working as a lineman and you're trying to be a cowboy, trying to make ends meet. So you're, right. run, you're burning the candle at all ends. At the same time, you're living a lifestyle that's pretty wild and right. Right. Yeah. Pretty not, hard. You not, know, not waking up clear headed. Yeah, no doubt. You know? And so, 
you uh, stub your toe here and then you stub your toe over here trying to get out of stubbing your toe over there, you know, and it's like you can't ever figure out. You get in a cycle and you can't figure out how to get out of it. And I think a lot of people nowadays and even back then that they don't have the wherewithal to get out of that cycle. And I said, you know, to my me, I was drinking pretty a lot and, you know, would be considered an alcoholic. I wasn't an everyday drunk where I had to get up and drink alcohol to survive through the day but when i started i'm like i said i'm pretty competitive and when i start (laughs) something i want to be at the finish of it now if we cracked open a 30 pack of beer we're going to drink it until it's gone we're not you know in the same way with a bottle of i was always had guys that hung out with me when we took the bottle off a little whiskey or lit off a bottle of whiskey i'd throw it out the window Right. And there was there was no sense in having it around because we weren't fixing to put it back on. Yeah, we're not we're not yeah. taking up and storage space. Yeah, yeah you that's might, precious. but I'm not going to. I mean, <laughs> so then that's and that's the way I've lived my life is pretty full on. If I decide to do something, I throw 140 percent into it, and I do it until it can't be done anymore. Until I get what I need accomplished, accomplished uh, work wise, you know, party wise, horse training, whatever, whatever that is, you know. If I set in on something, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it until it's to a point where I'm satisfied. So you're, you're, I mean, you're burning the candle at every end you can burn it. Yeah. You got yeah. your little place there and you're doing custom work for whoever you can do it. Right. What keep us going here. So, so, you know, about that time, like I said, I was drinking pretty heavy and running pretty hard and got to having some run-ins with the law and got to, you know, I mean, I spent a little time in the old hooch cow. So <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, what threw you in the hooch cow? Uh, drinking and driving. Okay. And, uh, you know, nothing other than that. That was kind of my, that was kind of my downfall. I guess I wasn't a very good driver when I drank <laughs> <laughs> or I drove in spots where there was cops all the time. I don't know. And this has <laughs> always blew my mind, but, uh, yeah. So I got that deal and I had to do a little jail time. I was laying in that jail cell and uh, knowing that I was going to have to lay there for quite a few nights. And, uh, I, I don't know. I had a, epiphany i guess a, a, a feeling that came over me and i couldn't i was fighting with myself inside trying to figure out why i was there i was a better person than what i should have been at that time you know and, or what i was at that time i was a better person and i knew that in my heart and i knew that in my head and so i remember i mean very vividly the third night i was laying there on that metal bunk with a sheet and no pillow you know i mean that's it and having knowing i was going to stay there another 42 days i was like man so you'd spend some time with the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, if I'm going to do it, let's do it. I right. go all the way. <laughs> I was lucky I didn't have to go all the way. But, you know, I mean, that that moment in my life changed my life. I uh, really had a heart-to-heart with myself and really dug deep. And I knew my parents and my family had trained, had, had raised me better than where I was. And uh, I knew the only reason I was done blaming everybody and, you know, it wasn't the cops' fault. It wasn't my pickups' fault. It wasn't the trailer's fault. It wasn't, you know, the reason I was there was because I wasn't making the right decisions. And those decisions were the drinking part. And uh, so I told myself right there, and I'd already been to rehab because the judge wanted me to go to rehab. So I went and spent a 30-day at a dry-out center. And uh, two weeks after that, I was back to drinking, you know, because you can make promises to everybody, mom, dad, brother, sister, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever it may be, and those people are going to love you anyways, no matter whether you break that promise. Now, you have a limited amount of those to break before they quit loving you. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't reached that point. And so everybody around me was still loving me. And I could tell them, OK, I'm going to quit drinking. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm back to drinking and they still loved me mm-hmm. and, and they still supported me. And so 
you know, that's, that's something that I learned that until you make that promise to yourself, because it doesn't do you any good to promise my mom, mom and dad that I'm not going to drink anymore. Because mm-hmm. really in all, I mean, you're not accountable. Because like I say, I mean, they're not going to disown you because of it. Not yet. So once I made that promise to myself that I was done drinking and I wouldn't be back in that spot ever again in my life, and the only way I would not be back in that spot is for me to quit drinking. And so I quit drinking 17 years ago. Matter of fact, last month and uh, was the 17th year anniversary, but I hadn't top, touched a drop since 17 years ago. And it's, it completely changed my life. You know, I mean, I, I started seeing the world a little clear, more clear. And I started being responsible for my actions and being accountable and holding myself accountable instead of having somebody else hold me accountable. I was accountable to myself, which I think in nowadays, you know, and that there's, there's a lack of that. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's just self-discipline. I've read some self-discipline books, you know, and I, I, I do some of that stuff and I meditate in the mornings, you know, I mean, I try to keep my mind at a peaceful spot where I don't ever go back there. I don't, I don't crave drinking anymore. I don't, I mean, it doesn't bother me. If anybody drinks around me, I mean, you can pick up a bottle of whiskey and drink it. And I don't have a problem. I don't crave it. I don't want it. I know better than I know what it causes. Right. Me personally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people can do it and it doesn't bother them. But it, me personally, I know what it does to me and I know what it creates. And I don't want that. I don't want that tornado in my life. You know, I mean, it just wreaks havoc on everything. And so once I kind of got over the drinking part, I had to I had to gather up myself was and your, leave. Was your body freaking out? Yeah. No, I never freaked out. My body never. I never had withdrawals, right. I, I would say, you know, because like I said, I didn't drink on a daily basis. I might go four days without drinking. But. Thursday, when you did. Thursday afternoon, come on. Friday, Friday after work, Saturday, Sunday. You know, I mean, I might drink all day. You know, I mean, like I say, we might drink two thirty packs on the weekend. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. or two bottles of whiskey or whatever. It was right. It was constant. You know, I mean, if we started at noon cooking out, barbecuing or something, drinking beer, well, we might end up in Fort Worth at the bar at three o'clock in the morning, and then go back to the house and drink till the sun's coming up. You know, and just go again the next day. And uh, so that was, I didn't really have the withdrawals, I guess. What I, I don't know what that is, but I didn't have those, I, I don't think. Um, just because I wasn't an everyday drinker, but I was a binge drinker. I was a binge drinking alcoholic. And, uh, you know, once I kind of got all that stuff under control, my life started changing and I could feel it was changing for the better. And uh, I started, I had to leave because your group of friends that at that time they were all drinkers and you know I, that's what I did with them was drink and there's a few of them that I'm still friends with that are you know still around today but a lot of them left you know and they're not my friends anymore because I didn't they didn't they didn't like me being around because I wasn't drinking and so they didn't it made them feel bad right and uh, so they didn't ask me that they didn't invite me anywhere anymore because that's you know and that was cool so I left and went to East Texas and worked on a yearling outfit and got away from the circle that I was running. And what helped me, I guess, more than anything was going down there and not knowing anybody. And uh, when somebody after work would say, hey, you want a beer? I just started saying, no, thanks. I don't drink. They didn't know any different. Yeah, so they was, didn't know who you were no, in your past. Or- th- so it was that much easier for me 
to follow through with me not drinking. You know, back home, if it had been a buddy of mine that I'd drank beer with for 15 years, he said, hey, you want a beer? And I said, no, I don't drink. He's like, bullshit, you drink, you know. Right. I watched you drink, you know, a gallon of whiskey one weekend, you know. And so it was easier for me to kind of get through that part of my life without going, falling off the wagon, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got through there. I stayed down there almost two years in East Texas and worked on a yearling outfit and kind of honed my yearling skills, I guess, which helped me kind of create another path where I could kind of go and do some things and uh, learned how to doctor cattle, learned how to catch cattle, learned how to, you know, detect sickness and learned what antibiotics worked and how to pair them together and different things like that and learned how to work on a cattle operation. I mean, we run 20 something thousand head of yearlings through there every year with me and one other guy. I mean, we work seven days a week. 16 hours a day and, and talk about a good spot to get your mental clarity no doubt no doubt you know i mean that's all i did was i'd take three or four head of horses with me every morning when we left at five o'clock and i'd come home and you know in the at dark 30 and unsaddle horses and go home and sleep and get up at four o'clock in the morning and go at it again so i mean it was it it, it was something that i needed and uh so i finally i got kind of done down there and i may move back to weatherford so what is it? Yeah, and I mean, you're working like crazy, but at the same time, what was your free time looking like? What were, what were you doing? I mean, there, I know there sleeping. Wasn't any, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, literally, we work seven days a week. You might get a Sunday afternoon off, but we work seven days a week. We had a pre preconditioning yard. We had a lot of cattle turned outside. We had about 900 head of mama cows that we were tending to as well. So I mean, it was a full time seven day a week, 15, 16 hour days every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's something that, again, that's kind of me, you know, I mean, that's what I thrived in. I like that. I like that struggle. I like, you I want to have it. You don't have a choice. Yeah, you got to go do it. You got to go do it. And so, you know, the same thing is like you get into, all right, we're going to start today. Well, we're going to finish today too. Mm-hmm. So whether it's 20 hours or whether it's 10 hours, I mean, that's what you're going to do. And that's kind of the cowboy mentality. You know I mean? You finish no matter what, no matter the weather, no matter the time, no matter the circumstances you finish. If you start a job, that's what you do is you finish. And I've always had that about me and I knew that deep down inside. And so that's kind of, that's just me. I mean, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it all the way until it's done. And so you got done with that and, and, still single still single at that time i've been dating a gal for a little bit and we were pretty serious i guess and uh, we she actually moved down there to we lived in palestine at the time and she moved down there with me and probably for six months she moved down there and then we moved back to weatherford and leased a little place north of weatherford and a house a barn and about 15 acres and we ended up getting married and uh we were married a year, I guess, and she got pregnant. And uh, I was day working and just riding outside horses. And I always kept four or five head of horses that were outside. And then I day worked. I stayed as busy as I wanted to stay and uh, was had a good circle. I had a good bunch of people that I worked for, had a big circle that I was working, you know, and I stayed busy. I didn't, I was doing fairly well for just a day working cowboy. And I'd like to say, I started a bunch of colts. So I always had outside horses to ride. And uh, she got pregnant and, uh, it kind of changed things with me. And I went and caught, I, of course, I came back from East Texas with some cow dogs because you got to have them in East Texas. And so I'd put together 15, 16 head of yellow dogs that bay cattle up in the briars and the bushes in East Texas. And I had still had quite a few dogs when I moved back. And I was using those to catch cattle for people, that even, you know, around Weatherford and different places that couldn't get caught wild cattle and whatnot. And so I was doing that and uh, 
the, a ranch over by Fort Worth called me and had a bull that needed catching. So I went over there, took my dog, caught the bull, pinned him, put him on the trailer, and they wanted to haul him off. So I hauled him off. And a couple of days later, they called me back and asked me if I wanted a job. I told them no. I turned them down three or four times just because I, I didn't want a full-time job. I didn't want to work for somebody. I liked working for myself. I liked the freedom. I liked, you know, being able to pick and choose where I worked and when I worked. And so I wasn't struggling at that time. And they asked me three or four times. And at that time, my wife was like, yeah, we, might, we didn't have insurance, you know. And right. It's kind of the typical cowboy deal. You don't have insurance. And like, how are we going to pay for this baby that's coming, you know. And so... I, I ended up taking a job over there, and I, I, I've actually just left that ranch, and I've been there 15 and a half years and uh, ran the ranch for the last 15 years. And, and I, lived I, there. Got to, I got to ride around and, and throw some mineral out with Buster a couple of months ago on that ranch. And that is, you know, I, I say you're like the last urban cowboy because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not riding a fake bucking machine in a bar. Right. We were, we were feeding cows, and looking at downtown Fort Worth. Right. It's a, it's a unique situation. You know, it's just right west of Fort Worth. And you can see, like you say, the buildings in downtown Fort Worth. And, uh, excuse me. Is that red chili meat burrito? Yeah, boy. She, I mean, she, it was she, really good, she come by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wow. a gift that keeps on giving. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was there for 15 years, and I guess I'd started Ranch Rodeo and, and uh, kind of doing that. And I Ranch Rodeo for about 20 years. I was still doing it, actually, today. So it's been about 20 years, and I kind of become – uh, you know, I mean, I, I had a reputation in the ranch rodeo and just, I rode, what was that reputation or what is that reputation? <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I, I rode, I rode the bugging horses a lot and I mugged the cows a lot, which, you know, most big guys like myself, they don't, you don't ride bugging horses, but I had the grit and I had to try and I was athletic enough that I could get it by and just get by. I wasn't a great bronc rider, but I could get by. And, uh, you know, I rode pretty good and, and I, I always, always prided myself in riding a pretty good horse. And, uh, that, that is that has gained a little bit, I guess, since the older I get, the better horses I like to ride. And you kind of hone your skill on that. Just like anything, the more practice you do, the better you get at it. And if you don't get good at it or better at it, then you probably quit and go on and do something else. But, uh, you know, so I did that. I ranch rodeo and started, you know, kind of getting a name for myself. You know, we went in quite a few rodeos and I was going to some double muggins and winning the double muggins. And if you don't know what a double mugging is. I was going to say, would you please break that down? Yeah. So a double mugging is, it's kind of like the calf roping, but it's old school. You run about a 600 pound yearling in the chute and you and one other man, one guy ropes him and then both of you wrestle him to the ground for lack of better terms and tie him down like in a typical calf roping, but you're tying down a 600 pound steer or heifer instead of a 150 pound roping calf. calf. Right. So it's pretty Western. It gets pretty gnarly <laughs> and you better have a little bit of fortitude and grit to get through that deal. Cause you do get your clothes ripped off of you. And I mean, you're talking about it's, it's pretty rough. And so I'd won quite a few of those and, and, and you know, I mean, that, that's kind of, it was a, it was a pride deal, an honor deal, you know. I mean, if you can go to a double mugging and win one against the caliber of competition that's there, it's, it's just saying something. So I'd won quite a few of those and kind of got a reputation on that. And, you know, like I say, my horse flesh was getting better every year. I was riding a little better horses and training a little better horses in the ranch, just a ranch horse, you know, all around using ranch horse, rope horse, sorting horse, you know, anything, just whatever you needed for a ranch horse. And uh, I don't know, um, <laughs> you're getting my whole life story like that. That's what I want. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> so I was running the ranch there. As the Canadians say, it's soup to nuts in here, eh? <laughs> yeah. So I was running the ranch there, and I'd, 
I had a couple of lease places down south of me, and the fences were not real good. And I'd become friends with the livestock enforcement sheriff deputy guy. And uh, one day he called me and he said, hey, I got a guy that wants to work on a ranch, which I'd had quite a few of those calls, you know, prior to that. And, uh, everybody wants to be a cowboy, man. Everybody wants to work on a ranch, but, I mean, not really everybody does once they get right down into the nuts and bolts it's of like it. like a farmer, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and so I don't know. He told me about the guy, and the guys kind of intrigued me. And uh, this guy's name was Bert Koontz, and uh, – if some of you follow the podcast, Jay's podcast, and follow Jay on Instagram or follow me on Instagram, you know who Bird is. He owns Bison Union Company, and uh, that. So he came. He came over. I told him to call me. It kind of intrigued me. He's a he's a combat veteran, special ops guy that uh, was fifteen years retired in special ops, and so. I, and, and forgive me, I don't know a lot of the military terms, but you know, I'm not real up on the jargon, the military jargon. So I'm just going to put it cowboy terms like that. And, uh, and so he came to he work. Was, he was, a, he was, as Dalton Brisby would say, he was a super puncher in the army. A super puncher in the army. Yeah. yeah. He was in the SIF company, you know, and, uh, and it's commander in extremes force and Ranger green beret kind of, you know, badass. Right. And uh, which all anybody. And again, I'll go out there and say thank you to everybody that's ever served and is serving right now. Thank you for your service. You, 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 know. you folks give the, give me and Jay opportunity to do what we do. And uh, we, uh, I appreciate it. I know Jay does. So thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. And uh, so back to Bert, he, he came Hold out. On, top, pause. Okay. So we just got through with you thinking people that are serving and <laughs> while I am 127% in support of what you just said, this is, this is why Buster's here today. This is, this is speaks to the true characters because we're telling your story. We're yeah. telling, telling what happened, what's happened to Buster this far. And in meeting somebody, you have that, they say that within three seconds, you're already going to formulate an opinion of who you just met. Formulating an opinion based off of what you just said it shows the true stripes of your character and the fact that you are genuinely, I mean, if somebody looks at you, they're like, holy hell, that's a mountain of a man. That is a cowboy that probably rips people's throat out of the bar at after hours, you know, for fun. Yeah. No. And just the way you talk is, a, is a, and I'm not trying to fluff your pillow for you, honey. I'm, I'm sitting here saying that just says a lot about who you are as a person. And so as we're talking about these mini accolades and, and, and the success that you're starting to find in life, and, and again, Almost every person that I've had in here, I, I would say, are successful. And you you might be one of the most successful men I've ever met <laughs> just because of the way that you you live your life and the character of a man that you are. So sorry for the segue, but just let that sit and, and smolder in your ear holes there for a little bit as you listen to Buster's story. But that's the true integrity of a person that we're getting to talk to today. Okay, continue well, on. Uh, thank you, Jay. I appreciate yeah. that. Public uh, service <laughs> announcement. Number three, don't yeah. squat with your spurs on. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, so Bert, Bert came out, I told him to call me and he did, and he came out and we visited and I told him what I could do for him and which wasn't much at that time, you know, I mean, I, I needed somebody to help me on the ranch, just do maintenance, you know, I mean, just, just every, every day stuff that goes on on the ranch, build fence, painting bins, you know, putting tin back on barns, putting out mineral, checking waters, you know, just uh, general everyday maintenance and, uh, Told him, I said, man, I can pay you 10 bucks an hour. And I hated doing it, but that's all I could do. You know I mean? That's all I could afford. And he was like, man, I just need something to do to keep my body and my mind active. 
I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll keep your body and your mind active. I promise you we can work <laughs> 60 hours a week or we can work 120 hours a week. It doesn't matter to me. You can work as much or as little as you want. And so he did. He fell in there and we went to work. And after about three days, and I think I told you this last night, I figured out, man, there's a reason those guys are called special operations. Them guys are special. No doubt about Not it. Not like a helmet and a lollipop special. No, either. like I'm talking about special individuals with lots of heart, lots of drive, lots of intelligence. I mean, they're, they're, they yeah. are special people. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. And then, uh, so by the third day, I figured that out. I'm like, wow, this is something. I've never really been around anybody like that, you know, I mean, somebody that had been in and done what he had done and uh, sacrificed what he had sacrificed. And that meant a lot to me right off the bat. You know, this guy is sacrificing what he, his whole life to protect someone like me. And that means something to me, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a code there. It's an honor there that a lot of people just disregard. And I, I don't, I take that to heart and I'm, it means a lot. So I wanted to try to help him as much as I could, you know, and give him a chance to thrive outside of what he knew and figure out who he was outside of the military. And if that was working with me, digging post holes, driving T-posts or, you know, punching cows, that's, that's what we did. We just worked. Mm-hmm. And within probably three or four weeks, we became like brothers, you know, good friends. And then it just the relationship developed over that. And I, he worked for me for about a year, I guess, full time. And of course he was making 10 bucks an hour and was trying to survive on it, you know, on 10 bucks an hour, which is hard to do nowadays. And uh, he uh, he was doing some other things, you know, to kind of supplement his income. And I won't go into those, but there's some pretty cool things that he was doing. And one afternoon, we, well, every afternoon we'd cut horses loose. What you got? He's more fa- he's more famous than than he'll ever acknowledge. Oh, no doubt. I mean, what the things that he's had to do? I'm going to get him on this thing. Yes, too. no doubt. We uh, got we're we're going to yeah. pin his little. You should sawed off butt down here and get get him on this podcast. But yeah. So anyway, so you guys are working. He's he's struggling. Yeah, and you know, and so he we, told me a story about after a couple of days of working with you <laughs> that he uh, he had never experienced chiggers like that before. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so my part of the country, you know, it's big grass country, it's prairie country, and we get quite a bit of rain. And there's, you know, we have this little bug called a chigger that most a lot of people know what it is, and it's <laughs> the most aggravating little creature that has ever been invented. Or I got one in my belly button one time. <laughs> Thought I was gonna rip my guts out. So they get in you, they bite you, and you know, it's just mostly in tall grass. They live in tall grass with some moisture in it, and so they get on you and they bite you. And generally, around anything that's tight, you know, like your socks, your boots, your underwear line, anything that's tight, that's where they attract to. So around the top of your socks, from your ankle to the where the crew of your sock is at the very top, I'm talking about. They would just destroy you, and it itches like uh, you think a mosquito bite itches times about a thousand, mm-hmm. and you get about forty or fifty of these trigger bites on you. You just constantly itching. So, I carried a sock full of sulfur in the door of the pickup, and I also carried off, you know, a can of off. And so, in the mornings before I would get out of the pickup through the summertime, you only get them really in the summertime. In the wintertime, they die off. But to summertime, <laughs> they're horrible. And uh, so, I would get out of the pickup and I would spray off on my pants all the way up to my knees, maybe my thighs. And then I'd take that sulfur sock and I would powder sulfur on me and I kept them off that way because I, I mean, they just attracted me. Didn't think He's much. so sweet. <laughs> Didn't think That was awkward. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Don't did, look at me in the eyes when you smile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Bert, he didn't know anything about these chiggers. He didn't where he grew up. He didn't have, you know, he don't know about chiggers. And I don't 
maybe I did it on purpose. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. I didn't say anything or I didn't throw him the sulfur sock and now off and say, hey, you better put this on. I think it's kind of a rite of passage. If you're going to get off in Johnson grass, it's thigh high. You better better be ready. Yeah. And so we were fixing some fence and that uh, next morning he comes to work and he says, hey, I got these bites all over me. And he said, uh, I have no idea what the hell they are. And he's like, at three o'clock this morning, I was standing in the pool butt naked with a barbecue brush scratching my legs. And I was, I, of course, I doubled over laughing, you know, and I was like, those are chiggers. And he was like, they're what? And I'm like, they're chiggers. He's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm like, that's what those bugs are. So he went home and studied on it. And he said that was the most excruciating, excruciating thing that he's ever been through in his life. And I mean, this guy's been through some stuff, but we laugh about it today. It took him a couple of weeks to get over those things. And from then on, he had him a sulfur sock on his side of the pickup as well and uh, i bet he never gets another chigger his entire life so it was a lesson very well learned but uh so so you guys are you you build a bond after three days yeah yeah no doubt and it's not a bond it's a brotherhood right right and 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 so he's worked for you for a while he's going broke right um and where, where, where does your path cross or what does it lead to? What is it? So one afternoon we come out of the barn, we turn some horses loose when we come out of the barn. We always kind of had a little chit chat about what we were going to do the next day, standing around the flatbed pickup. And uh, one day uh, we were talking and he said, Hey, I want to start a company. And I said, what? Well, right, cool. You know, I mean, what, what kind of company you want to start? And he's like, I want to sell some t-shirts and some ball caps. I say, yeah, cool. I don't know nothing about a ball cap or a t-shirt, except that's what you wear, you know. I mean, I wouldn't know the first thing about getting one made. And uh, he says, well, I've been doing some work on that. And he said, I got a, I think I got a pretty good logo and pretty cool brand, and we, I want to see what you think about it. And so he drew it out, actually, on the bed of my pickup, on you know, a flatbed, in the dirt, dust, whatever you want to say. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool, you know. It was an American flag with a buffalo, which he thought was the most uh, iconic American animal in North America. Yeah, I, I, I'm with him. Yeah, no doubt. Next to a horny toad. Right. <laughs> so he drew it out. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you want to help me? And I was like, I help you do whatever you want to do, man. I mean, I don't know nothing about it. I don't know how I can help you start a t-shirt company, but I mean, I'll do whatever we need to do. And so we kind of started, we made one t-shirt and just had the logo and the kind of a few little sayings on an American flag said, protect what you love, had peacemaker trading company. It started this peacemaker trading company. And, uh, had a Colt Peacemaker on the front of it. We made like 200 of the T-shirts and paid for them out of our own pocket and got them made. And he went to kind of, he had a social media following already and he went to kind of promoting them on Facebook and a little on Instagram at that time. And I didn't have Instagram at that time and had Facebook, but it was just to keep up with friends and family and kind of typical deal, you know, I mean, that was all it was just to kind of see what everybody was doing. And, uh, he, we finally dropped him for sale and he dropped him for sale on fate on his Facebook page. And I get three o'clock on a Wednesday morning. I mean, just a random time. And, you know, it was a limited run. Once we made it, it was over with. If you didn't get one bought, you would never get one. And, uh, Sold those 200 t-shirts like in 32 minutes. I mean, just unbelievable. In the middle of the night, you know, and I was just like, he came to work the next day and was telling me about it. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And I said, man, let's make another one. Right. So we made another one, took the profit off of that, made another, made 300 this next time, kind of the same deal, designed another T-shirt and same same process, sold those 300 in like 26 minutes. And, you know, the next day we're like, man, there's something, 
there might be something to this. And and that's six years ago now, and we've evolved into, we have a coffee shop, our main headquarters in Sheridan, Wyoming, Bison Union Company. We ended up having to change the name from Peacemaker to Bison Union just because of a, another company was using Peacemaker, and we, we didn't want to fight with them over the name, so we just changed it to Bison Union. And uh, Candace and Bert's wife, and they live in Sheridan, they run it, and uh, we opened a coffee shop last summer in Sheridan. Right beside uh, Bighorn Design, who is there. They make all our T-shirts and ball caps. And, you know, we have anything from knives to coffee. We, uh, Bert was friends with some Black Rifle coffee guys, and they uh, they kind of made a relationship, and we started. they started roasting our coffee and had a couple of lo- roasted coffee, and now we have a roaster and a coffee shop up there at Sheridan, and we roast a lot of our own coffee now, and we sell it online. And we don't do a whole lot in stores yet, but... Uh, you know, I mean, T-shirts, ball caps, knives, boots, you know, sweatshirts, hoodies, all kinds of just, you know, stuff that you use in everyday life. And it's always been, you know, an Americana kind of type company where we, we I guess, kind of roll towards the blue collar, hardworking American. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's like a happy ending on top of the cake. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're sitting in Dell City, Texas, listening to a squeaky fan in a podcast room. Right. Talking to a farmer. And I wouldn't say you're just a farmer there, Jay. Come on now. So businessman what is farms. what is what is the future of Buster Frierson? Shoot, I don't know. It's a, it's crazy. And we kind of talked about it last night over supper, you know. I mean, it, one thing I'd have learned in the last six years is never take a never take an introduction for granted, no matter whether it's a janitor somewhere, whether it's a president or some company somewhere, because somewhere down the line, somebody somewhere, the, like you say, the tentacles just reach so far and so wide that you never know what, what good it could do. Mucho calamari. Yeah. Mucho calamari, no doubt. So that's one thing I've taken out of this, you know, and I mean, I didn't have an Instagram, like I said a little while ago, didn't have an Instagram while Bert was working for me. And about two years after he's like, man, you gotta, you gotta get an Instagram. I'm like, I don't need that. I don't, I mean, I don't, what's, what good's that going to do me? Right. You know, I have that cowboy mentality where I don't, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I don't need that. Yeah. So let's talk about that machoism a little bit. <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of friends of mine that are that are true cowboys mm-hmm. that are now on Instagram, but at the same time, there's a lot of guys that have an ego where it's it hinders their ability to broaden their horizon. Right, and you know, and I don't necessarily know if it's an ego; it's just an insecurity. I think that they don't want to be out there in the public eye, and they don't want people knowing what they do on an everyday basis. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and I was that way. I mean, so I, I'm just speaking for myself. I was that way. I didn't want everybody knowing what I was doing day to day basis, you know. But what about so so now when you go to a ranch rodeo or something, you've got some of your old friends that, you know, that still use a flip phone. Right. You know, but people know you. Yeah. And and so are they are they busting your balls about a little yes. bit? Hey, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. boy model. Oh, yeah. No know? doubt about it. Oh. I mean, no doubt about it. They, you know, I mean, a lot of the guys do and I take a lot of flack from them, which is fine. You know, I mean, I don't. I don't hold that against anybody and everybody's opinions are on. It's none of my business. I do me and I do me pretty well. And that's about all I can do. You, you win know? at you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm Buster and I can be Buster pretty good, but I can't be anybody <laughs> else very good. And uh, so, I mean, I do me and, you know, if you want to talk shit and make fun of me or whatever, because I'm a model for Schaefer Outfitters. You or, better be a big <laughs> son of a gun. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, no, so, so I take a lot of flack from those guys. But they're kind of, you know, I mean, like you said, the 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 wheels turning 
and they're starting to kind of figure out, you know, hey, this might be beneficial. And it is beneficial to the agricultural world. It's beneficial to the farming side. It's beneficial to the beef industry side. It's beneficial to the dairy side. I mean, it's the agricultural world benefits from people knowing that there's people like you and I out there. Right. A lot of people don't know that there's guys like me. They don't know there's guys like you that farm every day that, you know, have an operation that supplies food and product to the American public at a very, very high rate of skill and, you know, just quality. Right. And it's, it, it's it, unbelievable to some folks because they're so into their cubicle life, I would guess, that they don't know anything out there like that exists except what they do. So let's talk about some of the interactions with with people that you meet. You know, you've got to get a lot of questions from younger guys um, that are wanting to be a cowboy. Right. You know, yeah. I don't know how many Instagram messages, and unfortunately, I can't read all of them. But right. at the same time, I get a lot of inquiries about, well, I want to be a farmer and I want to start. Yeah. How do I start? How do I start being a cowboy? You know, and how, and how, do, you how do you address that kind of stuff? So what I tell everybody, and it's like I said earlier in the podcast, you go surround yourself, whether you want to be a skateboard rider, whether you want to be a surfer, whether you want to be a baseball player, you go surround yourself with the best people in that profession that you can find. They'll take you in. They'll teach you, they'll give you some pointers, and they'll lead you in the direction you need to go. And so surround yourself, my opinion is surround yourself with people that are the best you can find in whatever situation or business that you want to be in. If you want to be an investment banker, go find the best investment bankers you can find. Hang out with them, listen to them, keep your mouth shut and your eyes open and listen and learn and try to implement all the good and implement all the bad too. Because it's just like me going to a ranch and helping somebody work their cows. If they do something that's a natch, it's just a disaster. Well, I'll put that back in my mind just as well as I put that, those good things. Like, hey, that, that, that set up the way the pins are set up. I remember that stuff because it works so well. So I remember the design, you know, I might go home and scribble it down on a piece of paper or on a card or something. So in the future, if I need it, I can go back to it and reference it. You know, how was that pin set up? You know, if it's set up horrible, you know, if they do remember what those bad things were, remember the bad and the good from every situation and put that in your arsenal. So you don't make those mistakes. You're learning from somebody that's already made the mistakes. How about somebody that's struggling with the bottle? The bottle. Or, or, or an addiction. And uh, that's, you know, that is one of those deals for me. Like when I did it, it was, uh, you have to make that promise to yourself because Breaking a promise to somebody else is minute. I mean, really, really have a heart-to-heart. Go deep, get down, and get the, I'm talking about get all the demons out, throw them out, let's face them, and, you know, be accountable for you. Be accountable for what happens to you. It's nobody else's fault what happens to you except you. You you can only change what you want to change. Nobody else can change you. I mean, there's, I don't care. They can put the voodoo, they can put the needles on you. They can put acupuncture, you know, you can go yada, yada, yada. There's a thousand different things, gimmicks that, but until you decide for yourself that that's what you want to do to better yourself, then you you won't ever change. So to ask this question out of order the way I normally do it, who's your hero? Besides somebody in your family and a religious figure, who's your hero? I have probably three Three guys, three men that I, I consider my heroes. A good friend of mine, Johnny Miller. I rodeoed, ranch rodeoed with him for 10, 12 years. Um, he went through the same kind of, almost the same situation I did. He's shown enough cowboy, like a very good cowboy. Uh, not saying that I am, but I'm saying he is. And, but he went through the bottle deal. He went through the drinking deal. He went through the hard times. And, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a man of 
very, very deep character and integrity and values. And he taught me, took me kind of under his wing at that time when I was trying to figure out how to get to those levels. And he showed me, you know, I mean, he showed me how to act and how to be and what to do. And, you know, gave me a lot of reference points, say, hey, when you get in this spot, this is, you know, and I'd call him and ask him. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not too proud to call somebody and ask for help. And I think that's another thing, you know, find somebody that you can talk to, find somebody that you can call and find somebody that you're you don't get mad at when they tell you your faults. Yeah, you screwed up. Yeah, you screwed up, yep. man. Be accountable. And uh, he he kind of guided me along and kind of helped me along through some tough times in my life. And even after I quit drinking, you're still going to have issues. I mean, it, it, I, you still have problems. You still have issues. You still have stuff on a daily, daily basis that you have to face. And, uh, you know, you always, I guess the thing I took from him and still take from him is always take the high road. No matter what the situation is, and that's hard for most people to do. It's hard for me to do. Hard I mean, for me to do too. Absolutely. You know, somebody somebody wrongs you or does something to you that is you think is you need to retaliate. Well, he was always telling me, just take the high road, baby. At the end, it'll be the best. Those people will get what they got coming, and uh, you'll you'll you don't you'll, have to be the one to dish it to them. You'll, yeah, exactly. And, uh, so, you know, he's, he's one of my heroes. Another hero of mine is, uh, Boots O'Neill. Um, he works for the four sixes and has forever and ever. And I'm not sure how old Boots is now, but Boots is up in his eighties. But I'm going to tell you this. If you don't think that that guy isn't a cowboy, if your name is Boots, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no doubt. he taught you how to eat rocks and nails for breakfast. No doubt. No doubt. And I hadn't been around Boots a lot, but I've always just held him in high regard just because he's 80 years old. And he still punches cows today and he's very good at it. And he's, he has lived the cowboy life. Um, you know and I mean? It, it's always impressed me that he's, he's done what he's done and still doing what he does. And, you know, one of the quotes he says is you have to like to suffer to be a cowboy. And, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a, that's a big part of being a cowboy. I mean, from not making a lot of money to being in the inclement weather to having lots of injuries, you know, dealing with livestock. You never know what's fixing to happen. And, you know, you're dealing with weather, you're dealing with market, you're dealing with everything and anything. You know, somebody says, do you gamble? And I'm like, yeah, I gamble every day. Absolutely. You know, I might not throw $20 down on the dice table, but I gamble every day when I get up, you know, and that's that's just part of it. Um I need the, the applause button. And yeah, I think we got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just Saying like you, you gamble every day. That's right. You know, it's a gamble to, if you're going to lose $10 or if you're going to lose 400 So know. who's number three? Number three would be Tom Morehouse. He's the same way Tom Morehouse, an old school cow puncher that uh, is, I've always held in high regard and uh, one of those guys. And you said not your family members, so I'm going to those guys that yeah. know my family. But, uh, yeah, Tom Morehouse is an unbelievable man, you know, sure enough, the uh, the iconic American cowboy. And uh, same way, he's 70 probably plus and uh, still punches cows. In your opinion, how do we save the American cowboy? You know, I'd say the American cowboy, they're always going to, they're, they're always going to be around. It's never going to go away. People are going to say that, you know, uh, they've been saying that since the invention of the automobile, you know, the cowboys dying, it's a dying breed. It's not a dying breed. You just don't see them. And, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's still, the best cow- response I've ever heard. there's still cowboys out there and there's really good cowboys. Did you write that down, Daniel? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And, uh, 
you know, there's lots of guys out there that are showing off real deal cowboys that are way better cowboys than I am, but you don't see them. They weren't in a spot where I kind of got a little notoriety because I was up close by Fort Worth, you know, right. and the city people saw me and, and you know, kind of gave me my notoriety. But the cowboys is that that are out there on those big ranches, they're way better cowboys, way better horsemen, way better people than I am. You know, they're just not seen. I mean, they're... But the one thing, too, that I've got to add to that, Buster, is you've got your hybrid, right? And the fact that you've been able to em- embrace the iconic figure that people want to embrace as an American cowboy, and you can hold your truth to your chest where people know that you're a genuinely good guy. And so, you know, speaking on behalf of somebody that's got a little spot of cows and, and has been in the ranch world. Thank you. Because there's so many people out there that want to grab onto that, that classic look of the American cow. And I don't talk about just the way you look, but just the way you act and the way you are around people. You take your hat off when you shake a woman's hand, you open the car door. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. Those kind of things. I met your son a while back. Your son is following in the same footsteps as dad, as far as just having unbelievable integrity. And so I want to say for me and everybody out here, that's getting this burned into their ear holes. Thank you. Because, because the American cowboy needs people like you that are willing to, yeah, you're going to do a photo shoot with Schaefer Outfitters. Being good shirts, I'll give them a shameless plug on this right thing. On. But at the same time, you're you're authentic and you're real and you struggle and yeah. you show people that. Yeah. You know, and and so so that that is something that I think is just amazing. What is your what is your goal with where you're at right now? What do you what do you want? It's, uh, you know, I'm, I've been asked that a few times in the last year, I guess, and uh, I've thought on it, you know, a little bit. And I don't need a million dollars in the bank. I want to be able to be secure. I want to be able to go do what I want when I want, not worry about paying my light bill this month. Right. I want to be able to have my son and we go experience different things and not have to grind every day and just hope I make it. And, you know, in the cowboy world, it's just like I said, you, you, it, to be a cowboy, you got to learn how to, you got to like suffering. And, and one, one thing about being a cowboy is you don't get paid very much. I mean, on a today's scale of wages, cowboys are probably the lowest paid individuals, you know, walking. You know, the amount of time, the equipment, the just the procedure that you got to go through to get to where you're at. You know, you're talking about you got a horse, you got to feed a horse, you got a saddle, you got a trailer, you got a pickup, you got, you know, I mean, there's equipment and costs that go with it. That And then we go work for 150 a day. Right. You know, blow a trailer tire out on the way to it. And that, you lost your whole day. You, yeah, your day's gone. But you do it because you love what you do and you won't love the lifestyle. And it's a freedom, you know, and that freedom is what everybody's searching for nowadays. You know, they want to, they want to, be able to do what they want to do. And that's me. I want to be able to be free to do what I want to do. And I want to punch cows. I want to train horses. I want to be involved with guys like you that are successful businessmen. I want to be involved with guys like Bert, you know, that are successful businessmen. I want to be involved with those kind of people that I can learn from, just like we talked about earlier, that I can ask Jay, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And I'm bad about that, you know, and sometimes guys get sick of that, but ask questions, you know, that's, I want to be successful. And in my mind, being successful is being at peace. I don't have to worry about making my pickup payment. I don't have to worry about paying the light bill. You know, I don't have to fret about, I can't go somewhere and, you know, I can't go hunting because I, I got to stay here and work because I don't have any, you know, I don't have any money and I don't have any security. I just, I just want security where I can go do what I want and help the people that need help, you know, whether I can or whether I can't, whatever facet that is, you know, if somebody needs help. 
I, You're I, there. I'm there. I'll give you whatever. I'll give you everything that I got. That being said, what's your biggest fear in life? <laughs> My biggest fear in life, I guess, would snakes. No, I'm not scared of snakes. Um, I'm not scared of heights. I'm not scared of water. I mean, I'm. I guess my biggest fear would be considered, and I, I don't. When I when I go on to the other side, I want somebody to say, I don't want them to have to lie about me at my funeral. I don't want to have to. I, I want those people to genuinely know that I was honest. I had integrity. I was, you know, had lots of character. I had values. And I, you know, my biggest fear would be, would be not having that when I, when I go on, you know, and I guess while I'm living as well, you know, I mean, your reputation is all you got. Your name is all you got in this world. If you really re- get right down to it. We had a good talk about that yesterday. Yeah, no doubt. And so, you know, I mean, if you can be uh, true and be honorable, it, every, there's a lot of people out there that's not going to like you. No right. doubt about it. I mean, there's people out there don't like me, and they say what they want to say. It's not my opinion, or it's not their business. That's not my business. Their opinion, but you know, when it gets right down to the nuts and bolts of it, the majority of people that I deal with on a day to day basis or have dealt with, they say, "Hey, that guy's the real deal." I tell you what, that's one of the things that makes me so excited about just you know being friends with you and getting to hang out with you because I know. I know that our story together is not written yet. Yeah, you know? no doubt. And I know, I know we've got things coming down the pipeline that I'm excited about. And, sure. and if it doesn't pay 25 cents, the opportunities that we're getting to hang out and that we're getting to bounce ideas from, and I'm getting to learn from your moral fiber and your character of how you operate as a human being are doing nothing but making sure that I'm checking myself to right. be a better person. And the same way with you and you and I, I mean, me on your side of it, uh, you know, yesterday we were kind of going over your life story as you picked me up and brought me out here to the farm. We were, I was just quizzing you about how you got into farming and what you were doing, you know, and how you, how you got started and got to where you are today. And some of the stuff you told me, you know, I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. That's, you know I mean? Yeah, that's, I mean and that's and that's why things gel. That's right. why things bond and and, right. and do that. And so, if people want to support Buster Frierson, how can they support you? Oh, you know, I mean, if I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. You know, I mean, if you want to support me, you know, support your local farmer, rancher, agriculturalist. Go to them and ask them. You know, what you can do for them. What what would help them out? And in turn, I think it just makes a full circle. You know, whether it's me or whether it's your neighbor down the road or whether it's somebody 250 miles from you, you know, I mean, if if you're out there, you know, support the American rancher, support the American farmer, support the American dairyman, you know, go out and do something by American, buy from your local farms and ranches, you know, I mean, do that to support your local guys. Don't go to Walmart and buy from a big corporation. Yeah. Because they're not helping us, you know, I mean, they're buying the cheapest product they can buy no matter where it comes from. They're in it for their margin, and that's it. If they want to see some Buster Fire, some beef, where can they find that? Ranch Hand. Range, so I went off on that. Ranch Hand is our coffee, but uh, Range Hand Meat Co. Range Hand Meat Company, and you yeah. guys are you guys are doing it. Yes, sir. It's, it's moving. Yes, so you sir. you can go check out those guys. Right. You can support Buster that way. You can support Buster by supporting American. There you go. You know, support your local rancher and farmer. I tell you what, this is this is this is one of the fastest hours I've ever been a part of. And uh, it's been an hour. It's been an hour of me yakking my face. I mean, you yacked it up. Wow. I'm going to say just from me, from the operation that we've got out here, um, Danny and and Daniel and all of us, we want to say thanks for just spending the time with us. Just 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 doing it because you you are a person that brings a whole lot of light into a real dark world. 
Well, I appreciate that. And it's the same. I feel the same with uh, you and your guys out here. I've, you know, y'all welcomed me just like I was part of the family. And I feel like it, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a unique situation you have here from what, in my perspective, you know, that, like I said, I didn't know anything like this existed. I mean, you've taken me around the farm a little bit and showed me a little bit of it. And it's just, I'm, I'm mind blown. I mean, it blows my mind that there's an operation like this and that it blows my mind that I'm friends with you. You know, I'm, and, I'm glad, I'm glad you're a part of the circle, man. Uh -huh. It's a good, it's a good one to be in. No doubt. From all of us that out here in the middle and, uh, and, and today's sponsor, Big Frig, they're so friggin' cool. No doubt. I mean, Brock, Brock, man, is, Brock the dude. is the dude. And and so if you guys, if you're trying to buy something that is going to keep your drink cold, keep your drink hot, get a cooler. Durable. Yeah. I mean. Custom logo, whatever you need, man. This dude, Brock, big frig, go to him, check him out. Brock is the man. He's a small business guy that. That's doing just, it. Yeah, that's doing it. He's I doing mean, it. got a great product and a great guy. I mean, support people that are great. Can you punch a hole in a cooler? I've never, I'm not trying on big freaks, dude. I like my, my knuckles. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. You can't. I mean, I've run over them back to gooseneck trailer, you know, back a hook up a gooseneck trailer and smash one of them. And they just like, no big deal. Right. You know, any other cooler would disintegrate into 5,000 pieces, but not the big freak. Uh, and I, I like that. I think Brock, you need to use that in your marketing too. You're frigging cool. So, um, from all of us that out here in the middle, it's a farm. Don't forget to support your American farmer and rancher. For all of you around the world that have been listening, we appreciate your support as well. We look forward to talking to you again soon. If you want to follow Buster Frierson, you can find him on Instagram at Buster Frierson. Yep. Um, I mean, you could you could Google just Buster and he's coming up. He's famous. He don't uh, want to talk about it. Not famous. It. Be blessed. God bless you all, and we'll talk to you here soon.